welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today on the show, I have a repeat guest, Scott Terrio, Manager of Consumer Insolvency at Voice Mikolas. Scott is back on the show, was on the show back in May of 2020. I mean, nothing's happened since then, so I mean, why would I bring him back on? But you'll find out, right? So I was back in episode 15, and he wants to learn That's about That's a lifetime it. ago now in terms of lifetime events. <laughs> yeah, so Scott, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Jason. So before we get started on why I brought you back and uh, everything that may have happened between then and now, Tell us a little bit of what it is you do. Yeah, well, so we file personal insolvencies. Um, we're the largest independent consumer-only insolvency firm in Canada. We got you know, 23 offices across Ontario. Boys Michaels has been in business since 1999. Doug and Ted opened the doors, so it's 25 years coming up in January, I think. So, you know, they've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this 14 years myself. I've probably filed seven or eight thousand consumers uh, in terms of insolvencies over the years we get to see we're on the front lines in, in a way of consumer debt and because most of our files are proposals consumer proposals versus bankruptcies and in a proposal the creditors have to vote on it so we get to see not only the situation that consumers are in but also the mood that the banks and lenders and CRA are in on an ongoing basis and how that changes over time so that's what we do excellent so Last time you came on, something had happened in the world because it was May. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was a lot of concern about people losing jobs and other things going on and what was going on. So I brought, you know, we, we had planned to bring you on before that, but it was kind of interestingly timed at a point of economic uncertainty. <laughs> Two months into the generational event. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the reason I had, it's funny enough, because the reason I had talked <laughs> to you about coming back on was actually related to all of the COVID and things that happened then. And it's specifically having to do, with uh, what's going on with business owners right now and how the Canadian Emergency Business Account is coming due, that loan, uh, which we'll yeah. talk about in a second, as well as other debts that were taken on during the course of, of, the, uh, of COVID, you know, coupled with the current high interest rate environment and just general economic difficulty yeah. of certain sectors of the economy, right? This is kind of a perfect storm for a lot of people, unfortunately, and a bad one. Yeah, so, I've said to someone the other day, if, if four years ago you had asked me to design and if I'd been smart enough to design kind of a perfect financial storm, I might have done all that's happened and maybe widespread job loss on top of it. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's go back, right? So COVID happened. Mm. There was a bunch of government programs that came out to try to keep businesses afloat. The first one was the Canadian Emergency Business Account. Talk to me about what that is and what the situation is with that now. Yeah, well, when things went, when things went south in the uh, economic shutdown for COVID, the government reacted by putting out emergency benefits. So, and, you know, they they rolled out in over time and they were different ones. If initially it was consumers, CERB, it was rolled out for kind of immediate consumption just to keep people afloat, keep paying the rent, paying the bills, whatever. 3.4 million Canadians lost their jobs in March of 2020. <laughs> so uh, top that. And uh, then, of course, there were more as things, you know, got worse. And then the business uh, community, uh, received benefits, the SIBA loans, which you're talking about. 
And uh, yeah, it was a, I believe 60,000, 40,000 of which was, if you, if you paid it back, 20 was granted. I got that right. Yeah, right. you're right. I think so, so yeah. if you pay back, if you pay, so the, there's the change. So it was supposed to be the end of this year. Yeah. Actually, it was supposed to be the end of last year that yes. we were supposed to pay back 40 grand in order to get 20, uh, 20 basically forgiven. Yeah. However, they pushed it back a year. And despite all the lobbying for greater forgiveness, because a lot of businesses are in rough shape, we, we got, instead of forgiveness, what we got was, you know, it's not fair to have that happen during Christmas. You know what we'll do? We'll give you until January 18th instead. Yeah, <laughs> you got 18 days. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. We can, we can, yeah. yeah. I'm going to put that up there with the most condescending thing I've seen them say, but continue. Yeah, no, I, and I have, uh, I mean, I have a bunch of thoughts about this based on people we've met with. Obviously, we've met with a lot of small businesses over the course of, you know, from COVID until now, and many of which we met with immediately. So there was an immediate kind of panic reaction that we saw from both consumers and small business owners during COVID, obviously. So we got flooded in, well, right during that podcast time, actually. So March, April, May, June of 2020 were insane for us because people were calling us dozens of people every day, each of us, you know, and and all I did was just initial consultations, one after another for like four months. And most of them didn't file. And that's because they were out of work, or their businesses were closed down. So we told them all the things they could do, but it's probably not wise to do it yet, because you're effectively creditor proof while you're not working. And you know, you also it's a a proposal specifically versus bankruptcy is a five year is you're entering into a five-year arrangement. So, you know, you don't want to do that lightly. You want to maybe wait until your income is back or whatever. So a lot of it was just postponing filings at that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can think of the main ones that we met with, right? Like, I mean, there's kind of tribal knowledge out there now about this stuff. So the biggest industries we met with were restaurants and bars, hit, you know, probably the hardest of anything, uh, small retail businesses where, you know, they they allowed the big box stores to stay open, but not the little guys. Nicely done. Acting and entertainment was a big one, obviously. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. in person, in person entertainment. I'm not talking about Netflix, which everybody binged on, but like I'm talking like plays and concerts and all that stuff. And you know, because I work at Young and King, <laughs> you see a lot of that. Doug and I got a particular taste of it. Yeah. I, you know, I mean the Actra acting union is up the street. Like so like anybody and, and and remember that a lot of actors work in restaurants and bars so yeah not only did they get double hammered right because even their daytime jobs you know because every actor the joke is well they're all servers and they'll tell you that right but so that was a double whammy and then corollary industries because i wanted to get the word corollary in here is to those uh, to those industries right so catering and technical services Carpentry, all those guys yeah. got hammered too because if you're not filming anything right yeah any businesses where physical contact is made. So think about this now. Massage therapists, got lots of calls from them. Chiropractors, physiotherapists, yoga even, which is in-person kind of thing mostly until it did the shift to online or hybrid, but a lot of those. Dentistry, that kind of stuff. Those people were highly affected. And then other ones that you might not think about, which I was surprised by, but makes sense, is tattoo artists. <laughs> lots of those. Go down to Queen West. They got decimated, those poor, poor folks. The tourism industry, travel, flight attendants, anybody related to the air travel industry got crushed. Weirdly, on the flip side, some places did well. So, you know, obviously cardboard manufacturers, which I didn't talk to. Um, but flower shops, for example, you can't visit grandma, so you send her flowers. But here's the thing. When things reopened, those guys got crushed because everybody could visit grandma again. 
So all the hiring that all they the did, ramping up to keep up. Yep. And now, boom, they got to fire everybody again. So there's there's a lot going on here that I don't think the public would necessarily see unless they had the kind of ringside seats we do. So that's kind of what happened with businesses with COVID. OK, so that's what happened. Then they took on a number of loans. Again, SIBA is one of them. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a HASCAP one for highly affected services, uh, cer certain sectors of the economy. And then, of course, yeah. there was other loans as well. So here's I think the first thing we, we got to basically dispel any kind of myths about is that these may have been loans for the business, but they were all personally guaranteed, were they not? Well, SIBA was just business. Okay. Okay. So let's get that one straight right off the bat because yeah. I have to do that when people call, right? So, and I don't know whether the government designed it that way or whether they just screwed up. Okay. I mean, typically, and look, I, I'm, in this, I'm in this industry and in my previous life, I worked for John Deere for 14 years. So I also saw that all John Deere dealers who own John Deere dealerships are independent business people, but they also, John Deere made them have personal guarantees. Okay. So this is typical, right? Of, of a business of a bigger business where, you know, if you're getting loans from banks or from BDC or anybody like that, they will typically look for personal guarantees. And that's because they want to get around the notion of legal separation in a corporation. Like if you go under and the business closes, they're going to be out of luck. So yeah, uh, typically that kind of money would be personal guarantee, but SIBA was not. So when people phone us and say, hey, look, I got a small business and I got a SIBA loan for 60 and I can't pay it back and I got all these other debts. And I say, okay, well, let's chalk the 60 one off because typically what we do as our tactic is you close your corporation down, file a personal insolvency because of all the personal guarantees and director liability debts that might follow you personally, because then you're covered both ways. Then you can just reopen mm -hmm. another business and do what you want to do again. That's normally what we do. And that's also why we do so many personal filings because so we effectively do business filings, but we do the personal. So yes, the, the SIBA loans were actually purely corporate. And so if you were not a sole proprietor and you were incorporated and you had a SIBA loan, that's your corporation. That's not you. So yeah. you might you might owe personal tax or HSD or payroll deduction as director of liability, whatever, but you don't owe that one personally. Hmm. So okay. So that's not on personally. The second piece of this is that for let's let's also look at the reality of this. It's not that it has to be absolutely paid by the deadline, otherwise the entire thing is due. It's that mm -hmm. the amount converts to a five-year term loan. Yeah. So, you know, instead of the goal is if you can pay down 40 grand, great. 20 yeah. grand gets forgiven, you're absolved. If you can't pay down 40 mm -hmm. grand, then whatever's left over, it's whatever's left over the 60, which yeah. goes to a five-year loan. And I'm actually seeing banks now putting out offers for loans for 40 grand so you yeah. can basically get that. So you can- Yeah, that's, that's an industry that has sprung up. I, I, I'm i always amazed that nature will find a way, as they say. That's it. Um, and <laughs> it's the same in financial nature, I guess. Banks see an opportunity to, here, I'll give you a loan for you know, longer, better terms, whatever, and you can pay us back instead of them. So yeah, I guess it could have been expected, but- It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and from the bank standpoint for business, it's like, well, it's funny because it's like, we are going to lose a certain amount of $60,000 loans and make nothing off of this, yeah. or we're going to get a bunch of, and we're going to have a bunch of $60,000 loans. But yeah. if we just offer this, then we'll have a lot of 20, it will have a lot of $40,000 loans, right? So, yeah. And for, and for businesses whose long-term viability is good and you can just get through the next little while, then it's probably a smart move, right? Because ultimately the banks will make interest on that longer term. Great. But I think probably for the ones that are in too deep, they probably said, no, I don't think so. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Let's talk about what a business owner who finds themselves, again, like there's a lot of perfect storm stuff going on right now. Mm -hmm. Loans coming due, 
there's already loans and repayments. So now this is basically going to add to the cash flow constraints of the business. Mm-hmm. Then you have, you have, again, you have slowing economy, especially depending on certain sectors. I mean, restaurants right now are incredibly squeezed if not losing money. So you have this potential tipping point happening. Okay. So let's talk about what a business owner should do first and foremost, if they, if they're finding themselves in a position where it might not be working out anymore. Okay. So let, let's do that. Let me first tell you again what's going on right now that's different than it was even six, 12 months ago, just because yeah, it matters to this discussion. And then I'll, I'll ask you to keep me on track with the what do they do thing, okay? Because you're the yeah. host and I like to talk. So, okay. So, number one is differences now. CRA are on the warpath like I've never seen in 14 years. That's number one. Um, for the last, where are we at? December? Last 18 months, I'd say, since summer of 2022, CRA kind of flipped the switch. Okay. So, for a couple of years during COVID, CRA was the Santa Claus of government. They were charged with getting money out the door just because they're the government's kind of money arm and you know, they have access to almost everybody's information and accounts. And so here you go, put this money out, whether it's personal or business uh, emergency benefits. So CRA were in the very unusual position for a while there of you know getting money out. And so kind of not their natural setting. Now they are very aggressively going after everything they can for obvious reasons. We all know that the government's get heavily indebted because of all this stuff and other things. And so they're looking to bring things back into some kind of semblance of balance. For small businesses, what that means, that warpath means, is that CRA are freezing accounts. Okay. Yeah. Because self employed people, as you know, don't typically have wages that CRA can garnish. And so CRA just instead says, okay, we'll shut your, we'll shut you down effectively by freezing your bank account because you can't operate. Okay. And we, they call us like, you know, 30 minutes later, typically small businesses tend to use the big five or six banks just because that's kind of, they can do everything. And like, they're not with the Aurelia Ukrainian credit union, for example, like it's not just, it's not a thing. They're big six. And so CRA knows the big six. And so CRA can easily send a blanket notice to say, hey, if a uh, dude here that owns this small business owes us a bunch of money, can you just shut their bank account down for us? Thanks very much. So it's low hanging fruit for CRA. And so that is putting tremendous pressure on businesses who are already stressed out and tapped out. And so that initiates action on the, on the tax debtor, obviously, the small business owner. And they've also had, you got to remember that when COVID shut these businesses down, the businesses said, okay, what do I do to keep either keep open or keep people employed? Like a lot of them kept the doors open just to keep people working kind of thing. Cause they, you know, their staff, they know their staff and all that is personal. And so they, some of the ways they did that, frankly, and this is time immemorial is, you know, by not remitting HST or payroll deductions because they just used it to keep the business running as basically as they could. And that's, you know, it's bad, but it's commitable kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's always been the case, but it was accelerated by COVID because you know we had not faced this before. And many continued to pay rent to their landlords. So if you're a small business and you're paying five or 10 grand in rent or more, mm-hmm. and you do that for six or seven months, when do you stop? You do stop paying rent and go, okay, well, I'm just going to risk you know getting tossed here. But the business might, if things open again, so there's a lot, a lot of kind of humming and hawing there. And so it can easily, though, get to 100 grand that you owe in rent now, in addition to HST and source reduction and eventually these, you know, business loans and all that stuff. So this is a pretty big chunk of damage for small businesses to get their hands around that we're facing here. Throw in inflation and interest rate hikes to the two other legs of this bar stool that you know we're on an unprecedented financial bar stool we're we're seeing here 
And consumers, of course, now are cutting back on essentials because of that inflation and because of an interest rate hikes, their mortgage payments going up, whatever, high cost of living. And so now when these small businesses who were crushed need people more than ever to use them, they can't because they're cutting back. So perfect financial tsunami in a lot of ways. So what they can do about it, I remember. Well, they can call us, number one. And and in our, you know, in our longstanding history of studying our clients and trying to put educational information out there by our dope debtor study every year or all the stuff that we do, typically it takes between 12 and 24 months for somebody to phone us when they realize they're screwed. Okay. So not to be technical, but but when you're screwed, you know it. You think you're done, right? You've hummed and hawed for like a long time. And I'll I'll just interject here to say, yeah, go ahead. Twenty that that period. Unfortunately, they're doing a lot of the wrong things, right? And I've seen this happen firsthand, where they don't want to deal with the situation as is, and hoping this gets better. And they're drawing down assets that would otherwise be creditor protected, right? Yeah. Like, and so if anything, I get the desire to make it better and hope it gets better. Yeah. But if you're 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 literally shooting yourself in the foot by taking a pool of assets that the creditors wouldn't be able to touch and using mm-hmm. them, and yeah, you're burning up burning up assets that you wouldn't have lost anyway. Exactly. Um, And that's why it is always better to phone early because keep in mind, like you phone a trustee, trustees legally obliged to give you all your options or we lose our license. And probably only 40% of people that phone us actually file. Hmm. But I, I advise all of them hundred percent, hundred out of a hundred. So if you phone me and you're a small business owner and here's all your scenario, there's two pages worth of notes and all it's very complicated. I will tell you what you should do. And as you said, wisely, I will also tell you that if you do get to the point where you have to file something, whether it's corporate or personal proposal or bankruptcy, whatever, here's the things you shouldn't do. Because frankly, 90% of good advice is avoiding problems as opposed to trying to get out of them. Avoidance in finance is just as important, if not more important than any other aspect of life. And so if I can tell you, here's the five things you better not do, and I've written articles on this stuff. Okay, like transferring assets and like you said, cashing things you don't need to, right? The sooner you call me, the more of those challenges we can avoid because it makes it worse. Time is the enemy of debt, period. And if you're in debt and you're spinning your wheels and the the longer it takes you to phone somebody for advice, the worse it's going to be. I guarantee that. Mm -hmm. Because there's also a lot of moving parts here, right? There's tax, there's CRA, there's the banks, there's corporate law. Right. All of this stuff we take into account. So when we advise somebody, it doesn't it also doesn't mean you should file anything now, if ever. Right. It means, you know, there's probably two or three things you should do between now and when you file that make you better off. I'm not talking about hiding assets. I'm talking about doing smart things, putting the pieces in place, so to speak. Right. And 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 the other thing is, well, you as a financial advisor know this better than anybody. I'm objective. You mm-hmm. phone me with this complicated set of a big mess. I'm looking at this going, here's what you ought to do, because I can see it, right? Yep. You're, you're in it, and you're the one not sleeping. I'm sleeping fine. So, like, I can sit there and go, okay, well, you know, in 20 minutes, I think here's what we do. And frankly, we're often the first person that somebody who's been stressed out for three years has spoken to that's actually helped them. And, you know, so if nothing else, you feel like there's somebody out there that can, you know, kind of give you some good advice. So the sooner the better, especially when it comes to a real business mess. All right. So sooner the better. All right. So they come and talk to you. They basically see they're in difficulty. Let's say that the business is non-viable going forward, or I mean, can be viable for going forward, but it really, it's just a downward spiral. Talk to me about the steps they should be taking, the first steps they should be taking after they've come to the conclusion they need to act. 
Well, first we decide, is this a is this a corporate matter or is it personal? Most of the time it's personal because what we would do is if, if you're incorporated, you know, your corporate debts are legally separate from you. That's why you incorporated in the first place. You might not even know that. I've had people who just incorporated because their you know, brother-in-law, the cop said, you ought to incorporate. Okay. Well, the number of people who are incorporated shouldn't be. And it's like, well, what's left in the oh, yeah. I take it all yeah. for my lifestyle. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure. No, yeah. Why no are you incorporated? Oh, well, because, yeah. you know, oh, you like doing lots of taxes. Okay, my account so. didn't tell me not to shut it down. Well, they're charging you three grand a year for it. I mean, like. Right. Yeah. And so there are people who shouldn't be incorporated and there are people who should be. So and, and sometimes it's accidental. Maybe they're in good shape because they incorporate. OK, well, great. That's going to work out in your favor now. If you're sole proprietor, we're having a different discussion, possibly. That's the kind of reason that's the reason you call, because we can separate all this, pull it all apart. And go, OK, here's you know, because there's also tactics here, right? Like, isn't just what do we do about the debt? It's what do we do about the business setup, about your personal situation? And, you know, and then not only that, but the, you might be including things in your mind that are that you're liable for that you aren't. Right. So I'll tell yeah. you that, like, That's you true. know, the the the, the SIBA loan. There you go. There's one. There's a great one. Or uh, I got a big fat loan from somebody and didn't personally guarantee it. OK, that that changes the picture, doesn't it? And so oftentimes we'll get them to close their corporation down because the, by virtue of simply closing your corporation down, your corporate debts are gone. They're dead. That's why you incorporated. You may not have known it. And now we look at saying, okay, well, what follows you personally from that corporation? Director liability debt does. So HSTs, payroll or source deduction owing, those are director liability debts because the government doesn't let you off the hook for that. Your corporate tax, that's gone. I'm talking about your corporate tax, not your HST, a director liability. Yep. Like, but these are things that people aren't thinking clearly about. Okay. And so even smart people who are financially sophisticated small business owners. I can tell talking to them that they're not thinking this through clearly because they're too deep in it, right? And so we well, say they're, to they're them- thinking about what they owe, right? They aren't necessarily understanding the degree to which they're on the hook. Well, and they're just, they're stressed, they're stressed out, right? They're not, yeah. they haven't slept in a year and they, they, you know, they got employees all over them. They got suppliers all over them, everything else, right? And so we're able to say, well, here's, when we boil it down, here's what you owe and here's what your corporation owes. Or if, you're so, or if you're a sole proprietor, here's what you both owe. And here's what you ought to do. Because sometimes it makes sense to file like six months from now. Mm -hmm. And not yet. Okay. But unless you called me, you wouldn't know that. And that's a big relief for a lot of people. There's also the, the determination, as you indicated, or you pointed out, of viability. A lot of small businesses that call us are viable, but not, but not right now. Yeah. They're viable in six or 12 or 18 months. So what do you do? Okay, well, we can, have, we can make a plan for that, right? Sometimes they're just at the the crest or the precipice of a of a big contract or something right or i don't know a, a reopening like covid or something where we say okay well then let's not do this right now let's do this and then do that later and so a lot of this is tactical um, and i this is kind of why i enjoy small business scenarios because it's kind of fun it's for me it's like okay here's what we do and well it isn't just file a proposal or file a bankruptcy it's here's the five things you ought to do with your life and your business and this and i think when people see that kind of holistic now i've used corollary and holistic in the sentence in this podcast it's more of a holistic thing because we're looking at your whole life right in a way here and so because we're objective it's a lot easier for us to point out realities that you may not be able to see from your you know being neck deep in all of this so sooner the better you might be surprised at what we do you might be surprised that you can close the corporation down and reopen another one and and do the business again i don't know a month mm -hmm. from now or two months six months 12 months from now and sometimes people's circumstances allow them to do that. Like I had a guy call me who had five businesses and he was just, he was running everywhere. 
and you know it was landscaping and it was all very um seasonal and those are very difficult businesses and in the first place because you know you got two different seasons two different sets of equipment to deal with and all this stuff and so he closed it all down he took a year off his wife makes good money. The all the all the assets are in his wife's name anyway. He didn't transfer anything, so he just happened to be that was perfect. And he's going to file something now because makes way more sense to do it now than when he's making you know two hundred grand again two years from now. He mm. wouldn't have known that. But like the dude is like he's he the, the switch flipped for him immediately just because he called us and we said, well, here's what you ought to do, and he had no idea that that was the way it would go. So again. People know stuff, so call them and let them let them advise you. Excellent. All right. So, so let's go through what the process of winding the business down looks like, right? Let's say that they are going to basically shut the thing down. Basically, talk to me about what needs to be filed, what they're doing. You know, where's your involvement? Yeah. And, so, well, typically, what we would say if if there's a corporation closing down is we say, okay, where are you at on your filings? First of all, okay, mm -hmm. this is because we always want to make CRA as happy as possible. Okay, especially in a proposal where they're voting, but even in a bankruptcy where they could make a fuss about your discharge as well, they don't typically mm -hmm. do it. But we just want we just want CRA happy. Okay, so number one is where you at with your filings: personal, corporate, HST, payroll, everything. Okay, because if you're closing, you want to do a closing return. Okay, and I'm not an accountant, so I can't tell you what all that is. I don't care, frankly, because someone will do it. Thank God, I just I just say do it, and someone else does it. But do your closing returns, right? So do your due diligence essentially for the closing. It doesn't cost tons. I mean, you have to do some nil returns or some closing returns, whatever. But it, it ties the business up nicely for CRA, okay? Because you don't want loose ends with CRA. Then you close your corporation down. I don't know, that costs you 50 bucks to do on the government website or something. Your accountant can do it. Usually that's what happens because they know what they're doing. And then we do a probably a personal filing as a result of that. But that's what you do. You So you, you do your... You file your returns to date, and whether you're filing, you know, quarterly for HST or annually or whatever, you do all that up to date. And if it's late in the tax year, like it is right now, we would typically we would do a year-to-date kind of prorated, what's called a um, provisional tax return, just to make again make CRA happy and make sure that you have the debts included in whatever we're filing right up to date. So in, in other words, I don't want you like if we're this late in the year, you might owe a ton, right? And I don't want you covered through the end of 2022. And then we do all this a proposal or bankruptcy for you. And then you owe another 80 grand in HST. That's not fun. Okay. So we make sure this is complete, right? So that's the kind of stuff we advise people uh, to do. And they don't typically know it. It's not because they aren't sophisticated, it's just because who would ever know that, right? Exactly. And so we use partly their accounting professionals to help, or if they have ones that either they're not happy with or they, whatever they owe too much money to, they can't do it anymore. We, they get a new accountant. Um, we recommend somebody they, they use them and then they're it makes their life easier okay and everybody who calls us wants their life easier right now and so that's kind of the stuff that we do to make sure the t's are crossed the i's are dotted excellent so all right that happens now let's talk about what happens when they're personally exposed right let's talk about the consumer proposal and how that differs from bankruptcy because i'm sure you know one of the things that keeps people away from you is this concept of bankruptcy and, yeah, and totally. basically like the scarlet letter that it basically yeah. makes people think that, that it is Talk to me about the differences, and then we can talk about, yeah. you know, I guess that answers the question of what, what happens when you're exposed personally as well. Yeah, well, it's, good. it's a good point, because we live in a credit-obsessed society now, too. So even 14 years ago, when I started doing this, bankruptcy was not nearly as big a deal as it is now. Now, I mean, there's way more proposals now, generally, also, for various reasons. But yes, you're right. That is what keeps people from picking up the phone, is these, this idea of bankruptcy, where like nine out of 10 of our files are often proposals. And so the difference is, 
first of all, they're both insolvency. Okay, so an insolvency is a bankruptcy or a or a consumer proposal for a Canadian consumer. They're both legal proceedings under the Bankruptcy Act. They're both provisions under the Bankruptcy Act, but one is a deal and one is not. So a proposal is a legal settlement as an alternative to bankruptcy. And you have five years to pay it, 60 months. And what you're doing is you're taking all your unsecured debts, including tax, including HST, stuff that follows you from your business, including credit cards, unsecured lines of credit, personal loans, payday loans, installment loans, student loans that are over seven years since you studied, all that stuff goes in. And because a lot of our tribal knowledge is derived from the U.S., just because of the internet and the world, when you sleep, yep. you know, when you, you live next, next, when you live next to the elephant, we have an estate tax in Canada. Yeah, I, I, well, exactly. You have gifting taxes. We mean, we imagine gifting. I know you'd have we a million gifting. examples, and so do I, right? So yeah. it's like I need to file a Chapter Seven. Yeah, okay. So our our bankruptcy code, our insolvency code, we don't call it a code; it's a law, is very different from the U.S. Okay, so whatever knowledge you have from the U.S. insolvency code is different here. Okay, ours is way more gentle, like. 10 times, 50 times more gentle than theirs. They are a litigious society. So there's lawyers involved in this stuff. It's expensive. Everybody gets poor except the lawyers. And, and there's all kinds of stuff you can't include. We can basically include almost everything and it's cheap and it's summary in nature. There's no lawyers involved. That's number one. Proposal, I said, like I said, is a, is a, is a five-year, 60-month maximum. So you pay X dollars over times 60 months to entice the creditors to vote for the proposal. Why would they do that? Well, because every proposal gives the creditors more return than a bankruptcy would. So when you call me and you say, here's my set of, of debts, 50 grand or whatever, here's the mix of debts and here's my assets. And if I filed a prior bankruptcy and my income, net, net monthly income and everything, I boil that down into a formula. Not my formula, the government's formula. And that, it, it spits out, here's what a bankruptcy would cost you. Okay, because there's a formula and this is what it is. So when you do a proposal, Bankruptcy is 21 months or nine months, depending on your income, and a proposal 60. So, okay, well, if I'm offering to pay you, my creditors, over 60 months instead of 21 or nine, I got to give you more. Okay, so we always offer more. How much more? That's based on experience and the mixed creditors and all kinds of factors, but we kind of know where to be. We don't want to offer too much because it's easy for me to spend someone else's money, but we also don't want to offer so little that it's insulting and the creditors get kind of pissed off at us and say, well, you know, you know, you know what, give us the whole it's thing. Well, Let's yeah. just burn it all down. Yeah. yeah. So we, that's all based on long experience and everything else. And the creditors get to vote in a, in a, about a six week period, uh, yes or no. And it's majority rules. So 51% of the dollars owed is what carries the proposal. doesn't matter what the other 49% say. They can scream and kick. They're involved anyway. So it's a full settlement based on what the majority said. It's like an election. You don't have to like it. This is the result. So the idea is it stops all the future interest. So you, you could get a break, uh, could get a substantial break on the principal, depending on the, the numbers I just mentioned. Or even if you have to pay the full amount because your assets are higher or whatever, you would still probably all the future interest would stop, which is what a lot of people want, frankly. They want a finite finish line type of a settlement because right now they're just you know they're never paying it they're just going to pay this for 100 years till they die and we're not and, talking mortgage rates here let's be clear right i mean and also yeah. i'll say this much i feel like the last decade or so of lowering interest rates has really skewed people's perceptions on what high interest rates are or how interest rates work i mean i've literally had people call and say like well this is ridiculous they want to you know this, this car loan wants seven percent this was way back and i'm just like and they're like i'm like why do you think it's ridiculous well i can get my mortgage at like three and a half. I'm like, yeah, you, you realize those aren't the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, 
the, yeah, I know. You know, it, it, no, you're right. You're very right about, and I, I wrote something about this the other day. The last decade has screwed us all up. Psychologically for what's yeah, normal. It's, yeah. it's, messed, it's messed Canadians up completely, their perceptions of money. And now we're going to see exactly what happens because of that. And I, for the next five years, because everybody's expectations are, are nuts and their sense of entitlement for certain financial boons are nuts. They legitimately think that money should be borderline free at this point. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, for 12 years. So Christ, what do you think? So yeah, I, and I, it's a very good point because now I think people are going to get a, a real taste of reality for the next little while. And it's not their fault, but this is going to, you know, there's going to be some hurt, right? Yep. All right. So basically, let's go over, I guess there's a recap of this, because we've got there, we've got sure. some rabbits. But so bottom line is, look, things are not great right now for a lot of businesses. The longer you wait to resolve this, the more likely you're going to do things that are foolish or detrimental to you, like drawing down assets you didn't need to. The bankruptcy is not necessarily the option you're going to take. There's better options or, or more preferable options, like like we just went over with um, with the consumer proposals. Businesses, if you owe SIBA and you think that there's no hope of paying that back, then frankly, you can shut down. Uh, that is an option, assuming, I mean, there's other factors, right? If you have, yeah. if you're like a consultant who runs all their business through a corporation, that's fine. If you're, yeah. you got bricks and mortar, mm-hmm. There's other issues there, right? So yeah, bottom yeah line, heavily, heavily asseted businesses are, are handled entirely differently. Yeah, exactly. So you have that. And but the re, but the reality is, is that I think anyone who's, who's staring down the barrel of that deadline in June, sorry, in January, in June, mm-hmm. I wish in January needs to start acting, uh, not yeah. just worrying. Right. So and needs to start reaching out. That's the first time, by the way, I've ever used that term myself. Hmm. Reaching, reaching out. out. I just never do. Yeah. But it just came to mind. I think people need to contact somebody and start talking, right? Because as you said, you don't want to leave this longer. Um, deal with it now. At least get some advice now, even if you don't do anything tangible right at this moment. Yeah. So I think we'll end it there. So Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people find you? www.hoys.com is the is the firm's website. You could go down a real rabbit hole on there. Uh, we have thousands of blogs there's we have debt free and 30 is our podcast that doug does every week on saturday mornings uh, available everywhere itunes you know youtube etc i have a recently formed Substack that i've been doing and trying to write sensible things on that i can't think of it so Substack terio i don't know you can find me there it doesn't matter um Google. i'm on linkedin and facebook and uh yeah i mean just um if you have somebody i guess who you know who sometimes people get compelled to call us by someone else, right? Because their friends or their family go, you know, dude, like you're drowning here. Okay. And so don't be afraid to, to, to point out to somebody that, you know, or love or, you know, whatever that, you know, maybe I'll just speak to somebody um, because sometimes they just can't do it and they need, they need a bit of a push. So don't be afraid to do that. It's my, it's my almost like giving them permission, right? Quite honestly. Yep. Excellent. Scott, thanks so much. Very much. Very you're welcome. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.